Good afternoon. I'm Callie Crossley. This is the Callie Crossley Show. We're talking about the Supreme Court's ruling on health care reform. We've been covering the results all day here on WGBH, and we're picking up the conversation with Robert Whitcomb of the Providence Journal and political analyst Arnie Arneson based in New Hampshire. Arnie, now that the verdict is in and President Obama's health care reform has been largely upheld, is this a, we know it's a major policy victory, but is it a political victory? Well, in some ways, it sort of is, because a lot of people really don't quite understand what the Supreme Court was being asked to do. They were looking at this law, trying to decide whether it was constitutional or not, all these other kinds of issues that are very legal and minutiae in nature. And yet, by coming down fairly overwhelmingly in support of this law, it almost seems like the good housekeeping seal of approval. And it's easier to argue to the American people that we need to move forward on this. It was found constitutional. In some ways, the Supremes like it. They like it. That's not really what they said, but that's kind of the impression. So I think for Barack Obama, it's a win. But I also think that it's a win for Mitt Romney because now he can continue to do what he's done really well. Just say no. (laughs) Just say repeal. And really, there's no burden on him to explain what he would do to replace it Because now we know that since only 36% of the American people have a favorable view of the Affordable Care Act, he can continue to build on that and doesn't need to have a nuanced message because no is the beginning and the end of his conversation. Well, Robert, what does that mean in terms of uh, the presidential race in November? I mean, Arnie is saying that it's uh, it's providing a rallying point for Republicans. In fact, some Republican operatives have said as much. You agree? I th- that, that's true, but I think overall it helps Obama because now people look at what is actually in the uh, in the act, yes. uh, and there's something in there for virtually everybody. And so the creation of constituencies of a big overarching constituency in the United States and smaller ones will now get underway with more force. Uh, now that the Supremes have ruled, uh, I should intercede here, by the way, you know, it's 5-4. It's a, it was a close right, ruling, right. even though the majority ruling was by the chief justice. So it was uh, very much, a, in most matters, a right-wing Republican. Uh, and let me pause know, there. Let me Actually, let me uh, pause yeah. you right there, Robert, because sure. uh, Robert Whitcomb, the vice president and editorial page editor of the Providence Journal, because the fact that uh, Chief Justice Roberts is so much uh, far apart from the rest of the people he joined in the 5-4 decision. Right. Most peop- most of those others in that group are considered, quote-unquote, liberal. Very. Not only, yeah, and then, of course, the four people who are against her are, would be by most uh, most people would consider them right-wing Republicans. In, in a but couple he did of cases, interesting... very right-wing Republicans, Scalia and uh, Thomas. So my point is, politically— how does that play? Because, the, you know, he's the guy that's been championed by so many uh, who are totally on the other side of the other four. And so for him to move over uh, and say, hey, constitutionally, I have to say this is correct. Uh, I think it pumps up Obama's case. But again, getting back to the, the my other point is I think just the fact that at least the most of virtually all the act is upheld from now will make the public actually look at the act which and, and let me just say, i think yeah. that helps obama mm. I I agree with you. I I totally agree with you, Robert. But there's a couple of things I want to say here is that this was just an amazing piece of ballet by the part of the chief justice. It was genius. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I wish I could have choreographed it because what he did was he agreed with his conservative group that this was unconstitutional from a Commerce Clause perspective, which is why CNN got it wrong, because that's how he started. And they went, oh, it went down. And then he agreed with the other four. But he used the tax con. Concept as the rationale, like the this Medicare is, tax oh, or the tax to pay for troops in Afghanistan exactly. or any other it's tax. Like, and the exactly. other thing is this business of forcing people. In fact, millions of people will still not do it because the penalties are very minor. So I, mean, it, I, exactly. I think most people in the public have this idea that they're going to go to jail or something. It's preposterous. Exactly. They're very small fines if you don't sign up. But, but, but let me, people but, discover that, too, because the right-wingers have presented as if people are going to be tortured and imprisoned for 50 years, you know, by uh, big, big government. But, 
if they don't but buy Robert, this he, stuff. He's even, he's even more of a genius because I want to continue the ballet metaphor here because not only that, but he, he did this pirouette for the Republican <laughs> attorney generals that yeah. fought this bill because they won. Because if you look at the only thing that really was not successful in the Supreme Court 5-4 decision had to do with the Medicaid expansion. That's and what the point. Supreme Court And this is brilliant because this is what the Republican attorney generals who hated this law did not want an additional burden put on their states to be forced to comply with this expansion of Medicaid to 133 percent of poverty level. And what they were going to say to them was, if you didn't expand to 133 percent, whack, we were going to actually take away some of your money that you're now getting for your 100 percent of poverty. And they were offended. And that was uh, sort of a states' rightish kind of thing. Yes. You know, don't yes. tell us yes. how to spend the money because Medicaid is a federal-state partnership. Right, right, right. So now, now the states here's the, the public doesn't understand either. So maybe this all the the hoopla about this thing, people learn more about the federal and state health care systems. Well, let exactly. me let, so let me articulate that so that people are thinking, well, I don't understand what that has meaning for me. It should be understood that half of the people who access health care do it through the Medicaid program. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about large, large numbers of people who are affected by this seven yes. to two decision. This is not the five That's to four. Right. This is seven to two. And by the way, two of the quote unquote liberal members of the court moved over to join the conservatives. That's uh, Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyers. That's Uh, a very uh, good point, Kelly. It is a very, very good point. And And, and let uh, let me just make sure everyone understands what that means, though. That says that now states can opt out of that requirement. Now, opt out is important because there are at least eight to 10 states that don't want to opt out. They want to get to 133%. May I give you an example of a state that wants to get to 133%? Probably the state of Oregon, Mm -hmm. probably the state of Vermont. There are a number of states that will clearly see this as at least a choice that will benefit them and yet at the same time the Republican attorney generals will go back to their states and say see what we saved you? We saved you from being forced into this this situation and 7-2, to two, clearly he won. Here's the, the sad story though, you were absolutely right, Callie. About 17 million people were supposed to suddenly get coverage with this expansion of Medicaid. Well, I'm, I'm only talking about 8-10 to 10 states, not the most populated states, not Texas, not, you know what I mean? And that means that those people will be in an interesting limbo because what happens to those people that are at the such low end of the economic spectrum but will not qualify for Medicaid and they won't fit into that 133% because their state won't opt for that. That's going to be interesting to see how those states play out what happens with those families and those individuals. Well, let's, yeah, let's, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I should also slide in here that you mentioned Oregon and Vermont. Both states have been moving toward their own universal care systems. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Oregon is run by a physician, uh, Kitzhaber, who it's big on universal care. Uh, and, of course, Vermont is officially moving in that direction. Well, right. it should be clear, though, that what is at stake for the states, because the 7 to 2 means that states can't be forced, meaning right. uh, the federal government right now can say, we mandate uh, what, the, what, what should be the, the, the rule on driving, 55 miles an hour or 65 mm, miles an hour. And you better right. do it unless you want, right. if you want us to cut you off from a federal highway funding. Uh, that is what the Supreme Court's 72 decision said, you cannot use that kind of pressure with states with regard to Medicaid funding. Now, having said that, it should also be noted that there is a lot of money at stake that states would have to come up with to replace what the federal government would offer if they don't make their match. However small their match may be, they have to make up a a piece of that or else the whole thing goes away. The local politicians, statewide politicians, would have to come up with the money maybe in higher state income taxes or sales taxes. Or something else. Well, choices so. are going to have to be made, and therein lies the political uh, and dilemma. They take the heat, yeah. and they right. would have yeah. to take the heat very directly. And, and Kelly, can I can I make a recommendation to your audience? There was an amazing article in the New York Times last week in anticipation of this ruling, and they were looking at Oregon. And, and Robert, you were just talking about you know Oregon is a state that's run by a doctor, but Oregon has something else interesting. They wanted to expand their Medicaid program even before the Affordable Care Act was found either constitutional or unconstitutional, and they were able to do it, but they weren't able to cover everyone. So what did they do, Kelly? People take a number and they have a lottery. 
And you either win the Medicaid lottery or you lose the Medicaid lottery. And let me just share one little vignette here. Like life in general. Oh, my God. But it's it's, what this story is what's so shocking, because this is why when those states decide not to expand Medicaid, why this is crushing for so many individuals, because the Oregon story plays it out. There was a young woman who was 24 who lost the lottery. But it turns out that she has like cysts in her overducts or I don't know what it was. She went to Planned Parenthood, of course, Planned Parenthood, that provided free services for her. She got her birth control. They did a bunch of smears. They called her up and said, guess what? You have stage two cancer on her cervix or something. She's not covered by health care. She's not covered by Medicaid. She turned to her boyfriend. She's 24. And she said, you know, if I get pregnant, I automatically get covered for Medicaid. Maybe we should get pregnant so I can be treated for my cancer. You know, that's I want, a, this that's was, a great it, example of yeah. the chaos it's a great of our medical yeah. system, the, in, right. the utter incoherence of it, which makes it Thank so you. for all there, of its glories and technology and, and, and some of its great institutions of medical education and hospitals, it is absolutely chaotic. All right. Well, what's also going to be chaotic is more discussion about the, the political dilemma that everybody's in now as a result of this ruling. And we're going to continue that conversation, but also ask the question, what does this ruling mean for you? for health care in Massachusetts. We want to know, uh, what do you think about what the Supreme Court decision has done today? Are you more likely to support President Obama, more determined than ever to defeat, uh, to defeat him now and to support Governor Romney? We'll continue the conversation. This is 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Give us a call, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You're listening to WGBH. This program is made possible thanks to you and Orchard Cove, where their substantial updates are now complete. You can see how the new face of this independent senior community in Canton is transforming residents' lives. You can schedule a tour online at orchardcovelive.org. And POV, learn how a film helped to tip the scales of justice and bring down Guatemalan dictator Efrain Rios Montt. Don't miss Granito, How to Nail a Dictator, from POV, Thursday at 10 on WGBH 44. And the growing number of WGBH sustainers who manage their contributions to public radio with the help of monthly installments and automatic renewals. Learn more about the ease of sustaining membership at WGBH.org. I'm Marco Werman. People around the globe have been anticipating the Supreme Court ruling on President Obama's health care overhaul and its requirement that citizens purchase health insurance. We'll hear views from Europe and from the Arab world about the role of government and the power of the courts. That and the rest of the day's news next time on The World. Coming up at 3 here on 89.7 WGBH. Staying informed. The issue now is whether states must also follow the Second Amendment. Asking questions. What has actually gone on at the White House today? Trying new things. Try this. Star Wars in concert. It all matters. Makes a difference. An impact. On me. My family, my friends. My neighbors. The whole community. So I chip in. I'm happy to give. I support WGBH. And you know that. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible for radio that really matters. Will summertime slow down an already sluggish job market? I'm Kara Miller. We check out the state of jobs this week on Innovation Hub. Saturday morning at 7 here on 89.7 WGBH. I'm Callie Crossley. This is the Callie Crossley Show. We're talking about the Supreme Court's decision today on health care reform. They have ruled that President Obama's health care legislation is constitutional. We've been talking about the political implications of the decision, and we'll continue that conversation. But first, uh, what does this mean for the quality of care and access to care in Massachusetts? That's why I have Brian Rossman on the line. He's the director of research for Healthcare for All. Brian Rossman, thank you for joining us. 
Hi, Kelly. It's great to be talking to you again. So what does it mean for us here in Massachusetts as a result of the Supreme Court decision? Well, it's very good news for Massachusetts. The, the upholding of the ACA means that we can both extend and enhance our existing reform. You know, in 2006 in Massachusetts, we passed our own version of the ACA. That's Affordable Care Act, Brian, for those of us who don't know the acronym. Affordable Care Act, exactly. <laughs> Romney Care. care. <laughs> <laughs> so the Romney Care law, which we don't really, you know, nobody called it Romney Care until there was a, a law called Obamacare. But the, the 2006 law really became was the blueprint for what became the Affordable Care Act. But the national law allows Massachusetts to go further. So, for example, in Massachusetts, we cut off subsidies for low-income people at about $33,000 a year for an individual. Under the national reform, we'll be able to go up to $44,000 a year. So a lot of people that are in that kind of sandwich squeeze will be able to get some sliding-scale help with their premiums. It also is good news for the state fiscally because we've been paying for a lot of this with our own state dollars. Now we'll get federal dollars to pay for a lot of the uh, programs that we're already running. So it's good news for Massachusetts. So what are the downsides? Because uh, you know, one of the, the issues for people who've been opposed to this law is that it puts an undue burden on employers. Uh, now that the individual mandate has been upheld, we've done that here in Massachusetts. Will there be an, a, a greater burden or have we weathered that here in Massachusetts? It's interesting, the impact on employers. So Massachusetts law requires employers with 11 or more workers to provide coverage. And if they don't, there's a modest fine. It's under $300 per worker per year. In Massachusetts in the last six years, the percent of employers offering coverage has actually gone up from about 70% now then to about 76% now. So this is good for employers. In Massachusetts, in fact, um, employers have been embraced the law. So we think this is good news. What it does also do is a new tax credit that isn't available right now in Massachusetts will be available under federal law to help small employers uh, afford the cost of coverage. So from the employer point of view, this is also, I think, a welcome development in Massachusetts. They'll get new help. So, Brian, just to be clear, because there are those who worry that it'll have a negative impact on jobs, but you're saying the tax credit that comes with the Affordable Care Act uh, now being up, up Held, will, in fact, uh, mitigate some of that so it shouldn't have a negative effect on jobs? We don't expect the will based on the history of Massachusetts. There's been some careful economic studies looking at how our economy has fared compared to other states and trying to sort of leave out all the other extraneous factors looking just at the health care coverage issue. What they have found is employment has increased in Massachusetts uh, because of the health care law in part because it's easier for people to start a new small business because mm -hmm. the small companies are able to get health care easily, um, unlike in other states where they have to worry about uh, being shut out because of pre-existing conditions. Brian, in general, do small businesses like uh, Romney Care, whatever you want to call it, and, and you know, as compared to, say, large businesses and vice versa? Well, for large businesses, there was very little changes, actually. They, they didn't see anything change. But for small businesses... Mm -hmm. Uh, they've, they've been pretty happy. The Connector, which is our state's exchange, has given them a new way to buy insurance and really shop for value in a way that makes it a lot easier to, to go online and pick the right plan for your workers. The survey shows a lot of sorry. support. Now, Brian, the other thing that was interesting about the Affordable Care Act is that it required insurance companies to spend 80% of the premium dollars on actually providing health care. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What next? And the 20%, <laughs> right, exactly. And the 20% could go for profit or marketing or whatever. And it turns out that in August, about a billion three, a billion one will be returned to small business and individual policyholders because that many insurance companies could not get to that 80 20 uh, break. Does that also use? useful for the state of Massachusetts. Do you have a requirement for insurance companies to spend at a minimum 80% of dollars to actually invest in providing health care services, or is this a sweetener to what's already going on in Massachusetts? Yeah, actually, we're sort of ahead of the ballgame, like on a lot of things. In Massachusetts right now, insurers have to spend 88% wow, as opposed great. to the federal law, 80%. Well, I bet they've yelped about that. Well, actually, they, they, most of them have complied. Um, our average, what they call, here's the wonky term, medical loss ratio, which mm -hmm. is how much you spend for medical care, it's been in the uh, 90 91% range for most insurers. 
but a few insurers are going to have to pay rebates next year because of that 88% rule. Wow. So, Brian, last question. Uh, the state's network of uh, more than 280 community health center sites were sort of uh, standing on edge, if you will, because if the law was struck down, all this money that had been spent, $80 million, in fact, for expansion would just have gone for naught, and they, it, it, my information says 12 Massachusetts health centers um, were going to be hit pretty hard. Now, Excuse me, Kelly, are these, these are like clinics, sort of? Yes, community health like centers. Street-side yes. clinics, yeah. yeah. So, Brian, they, I want to know clinics, where, where yeah. they are now. As a result of this, does this mean an expansion of the kind of access to health care and therefore preventative health care that a lot of underserved populations will stand to uh, benefit from? Yeah, I just saw uh, director of a neighborhood health center getting ready for one of our um, our press conference we're having in a few minutes. He was all full of smiles. This is really good for them, and they're able to provide you know very low cost primary care with a focus on prevention in the community, and plus they provide other services, for example, farmers markets, things like that. So when people come in to get their health checked, it's not just medical care, but the full body care. It's about, it's about keeping people healthy, not just catching up people when they're sick. These health centers will get a big boost because of the decision today. Brian, what will this mean for overall health costs in Massachusetts? Well, that's really the next step here in Massachusetts. You know, the Governor Patrick proposed a bill in the House and Senate that each passed their version. It would move our whole state from a kind of fee-for-service world mm-hmm. where doctors get paid for every little thing they do to a system which they call global payments. Mm-hmm. which means they're paid to keep people healthy, basically. It allows doctors to sort of get rid of the insurance company rules and spend the dollars to keep people healthy, more investment in prevention and wellness and nutrition and education. We have high hopes that this will lower the health care costs, and the ACA actually uh, supports this by providing some federal funds to let us do this. Mm-hmm. Even for the very sick? Uh, uh you know, chronically or otherwise. I'll let you answer that, Brian, but I know you got to go to get to your press oh, conference. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's the chronically ill are, is who is most important. We did a test of a diabetes care where they saw educators and nurses, and they kept people from needing the emergency room. So it was a big, wow. big, big plus. All right, yeah. that's my guest, Brian Rossman. He's the director Thanks of so research much, for Healthcare for All. Thank you for joining us. Great to be with you. Thank you. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about health care and specifically the Supreme Court ruling and what this means for the presidential election. I'm joined by radio and TV commentator Arnie Arneson and Robert Whitcomb, the vice president and editorial page editor of the Providence Journal. You can join the conversation at 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. You can write to our Facebook page or send me a tweet at Callie Crossley. So let's get to back to the political discussion and to begin, kick that off again. Uh, I want to take a little uh, time to listen to what Min, Mitt Romney's response was uh, after the Supreme Court ruling uh, came down. Here is Governor Mitt Romney, the presumptive nominee for the Republican Party, saying he'll get rid of Obamacare by getting rid of President Obama. If we want to get rid of Obamacare, We're going to have to replace President Obama. My mission is to make sure we do exactly that, that we return to the American people the privilege they've always had to live their lives in the way they feel most appropriate, where we don't pass on to coming generations massive deficits and debt, where we don't have a setting where jobs are lost. If we want good jobs and a bright economic future for ourselves and for our kids, we must replace Obamacare. I also wanted to add to what uh, Governor Romney had to say, something that Michelle Bachman uh, was saying earlier today. Uh, people may remember that she at one time was running for the presidency, uh, for the Republican nomination. Such a distant memory. But, but, but no, more, to the point, memory. more to the point, from a political standpoint, she was out in front as one who was really uh, angered by and opposed in very strenuous way uh, to what is now referred to as Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. So her response today was that this was a turning point in American history, the Supreme Court's decision. She said, we will never be the same. The denial of liberty interests make, it makes this still unconstitutional, in her words. And she uh, really predicted that there was no hope of an economic recovery because it will put undue burden on employers. So uh, taking what both Michelle Bachman and Mitt Romney have said, get you two to respond to their statements. Can- 
can I can I just say something? Uh, up to the decision of the Supreme Court, there has been a three to one advantage uh, against the Affordable Care Act. There have been they've been outspent three to one on all the sort of paid media and lots of stories out there. And actually, it's probably even been more than that because you brought up Michelle Bachman during the entire caucus in the primary. What was the theme song for all the Republicans running for president? Bad Obamacare, bad Obamacare. Now the tables have turned because the uh, the Supreme Court has in fact found it constitutional. That has really given Barack Obama an opportunity to talk in a more positive way about this because he has that seal of approval. And all of a sudden now, while only 36 percent of Americans think that they um, would, you know, don't don't like this bill or 36 percent think they like this bill. I think what's really important now is that he can now say, okay, let me walk through all these things they want to get rid of. And you tell me, Mitt Romney, once you get rid of those, what are you replacing it with? And he remember, hasn't come I was up tell- with anything yet. Not one. Exactly. And let me just give you one more example, because, you know, they, we talk about pre-existing conditions. Let me shock your audience. One of the examples of pre-existing conditions for women, let me just tell you this, because this is now no longer an opportunity to ding you from having access to health insurance. If you are raped, if you are suffering from domestic violence and you require mental health services, that could before the Affordable Care Act, be an example of a pre-existing condition and you could be denied health insurance. As a result of the Affordable Care Act, they now cannot deny you access to health insurance because you were raped or because you were abused by a spouse. That is an amazing story that most women have no idea about. That changed, not only with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, but now with the fact that the Supreme Court said it is constitutional. What an opportunity to turn the tables, the three against one saying this is a bad act, to subtly telling people what they got, and when they hear what they have, it's not about the Affordable Care Act. It's what does it mean to me? And Barack Obama can go through person by person and say, this is what it means to you, your children, your family, your bill. Robert, hold on a second. Robert, hold on a second. I want to get a a call in. Uh, Matt from Cohasset, uh, go ahead, please. You're on the Cali Crossley Show, 89.7. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I'm calling. I'm a small business owner. I've been incorporated for 17 years in Massachusetts. Um, the health care uh, rules in Massachusetts have affected my company greatly. Um, I was not able to afford the $9.40 increase for two employees who uh, consequently uh, were went on unemployment and consequently went on Massachusetts health care. Personally, I pay $19,300 for my Tufts policy, which has a $4,000 deductible. Last year, my family spent 20, a family of four, a nine-year-old and a 14-year-old, uh, spent um, uh, $2,200. Uh, at the end of the year, I received a bill from the insurance company for things that were not covered by uh, the um, that were issued to the deductible for one thousand sixty three dollars making making the amount of money that I paid roughly uh, roughly seventeen hundred dollars of of money that went to somewhere else so um, so matt you 're not pleased with the Supreme Court decision um, i am not I am not pleased with the Supreme Court decision. Uh, for for a number of reasons, it's a very it's a very complicated uh, ruling. Um, some of the issues about um, how it's going to be funded and the states applauding themselves for or, or our state applauding itself for how much more money is going to be coming in. My question is, Kelly, where's the money going to come from if small business has been impacted? Well, there, there is the, as, uh, as uh, Brian Rossman, my guest, who was just on a few seconds ago, pointed out that for uh, a part of the act now that will go into play will be there will be some funds going to business owners such as yourself to help you with the payment of these funds. Of course, it's not helping you now. I understand that. Uh, but we're also interested in, you know, just where this leaves you if you're unhappy with the Supreme Court but politically. Uh, I don't know who you voted for in 2008. If you want to share, that'd be great. But would, would has this impacted your vote for November now? Yes, I will continue to uh, to put my support behind uh, Romney. Okay. So can I? But Romney, because... but Romney created the program that's the basis of Obamacare. I mean, he presided over the creation, <laughs> the the very program now supported by the Supreme Court. Does that so, Im- impact curious. you at all, Matt? Yeah. Do you, Matt, do... uh, I, I understand <laughs> that the that yeah. the outside yeah. parameters of Massachusetts health insurance, and I'm not against health insurance. Sure. I'm just I just think that we need to control costs. 
One of the situations that happened to my son was he had a cough. He went into the doctor. The um, it was determined that he needed a chest X-ray. The, ch- the I got the bill. I got a bill for thirty-eight dollars. I got a bill for a uh, hundred and fifty, a hundred and forty-five dollars, uh, and and then I got the 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 uh, uh, the payment uh, indication from Tufts, and it said that they'll pay fifty-four dollars, and that I was responsible for the rest. And when I asked, they said this is not preventative. This is diagnostic, mm. and I said. Isn't it isn't it preventative that you're finding out if somebody has pneumonia or not and are going to end up spending more money? And they said, I'm sorry, you'll have to talk to your provider. And then I found out that the broker makes twenty five dollars per individual on Mm. the company. So it's not a global system. That's the trouble. It's procedure by procedure by procedure. So the incentive is in the medical system of physicians and hospitals uh, and the uh, clinics to to charge for every single procedure. Yes, Arnie, go ahead. And, And your lament is not the lament of Massachusetts. It's not the lament of the Affordable Care Act. It's not the lament of Romney Care. It's the lament of private insurance that is not dedicated to making you healthy, to making decisions whether this is wellness care or preventative care or diagnostic care. They have a decision, and the decision is based on profit. Just to let you know, the average family of four has seen their health insurance costs double in the last decade, and they're not even in Massachusetts. And what they predict is that if we didn't do anything, it would probably be up to about 35% of the cost of a median family income within the next decade. What you are upset about has nothing to do with Romney Care to a large extent or even the Affordable Care Act. It's what happens with private insurance that is not about controlling costs because they want to make money, because their goal isn't limiting dollars, it's increasing dollars so they can send more of them to their profit and less of them into the health insurance package. Well, there's nothing wrong with making money. I mean, businesses, you know, let them make money, for God's sake. No one's saying not make but but I'm not saying that. But look what he just said. $55, $100, $140. Why do they call this diagnostic? I call it preventative. Because you know what? They make money. They make money on diagnostic. They don't make yeah. money on preventative. Yeah, procedure so, by procedure by procedure. Right. But here's aspirin the bottom line. For, for Matt, he's not persuaded that either the Supreme Court decision or President Obama is going to take him to a place that's going to help reduce his health care costs. So he's supporting um, and he's feeling even more firmly, I, I take it, Matt, uh, after this decision to support Governor Romney. That would be correct. And, okay. and, and Romney's plan for you is? And Romney's plan for you is, since you're going to support him, what's his plan for you that will bring down costs? Because obviously you wouldn't embrace someone who didn't have a plan. Well, I believe that I I believe that Romney is going to is is going to take take the uh, take the structure of Obamacare and, and refine it. One of some of the things that concerns me is that, you know, if I sell my house in 2015, I, I believe that two two or three percent are going to go towards funding uh, Obamacare. And, and you know, uh, we've already suffered in Massachusetts. Uh, we've suffered, uh, you know, reduction in, uh, in, in real estate values. And, you know, our towns and, uh, our towns and cities are, are still charging us as if, you know, as if the, the property was still uh, at the same value. So I, I look at that I, as an additional well, Matt, That's true for every other state. Every other state. Right what I hear, what I hear, Matt saying Republican. is that he's looking for a change, <laughs> and yeah. he doesn't. And well, you know where it is now is not a change for him. That's the direction he's going in. Matt, I hear you. They will get it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I right, hear you. Care. Thank you, fodder, for a conversation. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Bye. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about how the Supreme Court's ruling will affect the presidential race. I'm here with Robert Whitcomb of the Providence Journal and political analyst Arnie Arneson. We're going to continue the health care conversation on 89.7 WGBH. And you can join us. 877-301-8970. 877-301-8970. Matt's weighed in. Where are you? Has it changed your vote in November? 877-301-8970. We are 89. WGBH, Boston Public Radio. This program is on WGBH thanks to you and the law firm of Wolf Greenfield. Specializing in intellectual property law, Wolf Greenfield provides clients with solutions on patents, trademarks, licensing, and litigation.
wolfgreenfield.com and Thomas Moser Furniture. Our customers have mentioned that they've heard us on both stations. Chris Aramo, Territory Manager. One customer in particular was visiting from Texas and they found our Back Bay uh, showroom as a direct result of listening to WGBH. To learn how a partnership with WGBH can benefit your business, visit wgbh.org sponsorship. Chef Marcus Samuelson was born in Ethiopia, raised in Sweden, and now runs one of New York's most celebrated restaurants in Harlem. On the next Fresh Air, he talks about the insults and abuse he faced training in some of Europe's elite restaurants and why it made him a better chef. Marcus Samuelson's new memoir is called Yes, Chef. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. It's cool, it's sweet, and it's fun for the whole family. Support WGBH with a gift of just $30, and we'll say thanks with not one, not two, but four tickets to the WGBH Fun Fest, coming to WGBH's Brighton Studios on Saturday, July 14th. There's ice cream from your favorite local vendors, awesome kids' music, there's even a bouncy house. Secure your tickets online at wgbh.org funfest. This is Marketplace from APM. I'm Kai Rizdal. Marketplace is coming to Boston Public Radio. Wait, what? Yes, that's right. Starting Monday, July 2nd. First in Boston at 6 o'clock here on 89.7 WGBH. I'm Callie Crossley. This is the Callie Crossley Show. We're talking about the Supreme Court. They've ruled that President Obama's health care reform is constitutional. This is considered a win for President Obama. This ruling will also remain one of Mitt Romney's signature criticisms of the president's domestic agenda. How this ruling will play out on the campaign trail is what we're talking about with political analyst Arnie Arneson and Robert Whitcomb, the vice president and editorial page editor of the Providence Journal. Uh, today, when President Obama responded to the Supreme Court decision, uh, he said, OK, we've had the politics time. Time to move on, uh, and I was motivated by something much more fundamental. Here's a, a little bit of what he said about what motivated him, talking about a letter he got from a constituent. You know, there's a framed letter that hangs in my office right now. It was sent to me during the health care debate by a woman named Natoma Canfield. For years and years, Natoma did everything right. She bought health insurance, she paid her premiums on time. But 18 years ago, Natoma was diagnosed with cancer. And even though she'd been cancer-free for more than a decade, her insurance company kept jacking up her rates year after year. And despite her desire to keep her coverage, despite her fears that she would get sick again, she had to surrender her health insurance and was forced to hang her fortunes on chance. I carried Natoma's story with me every day of the fight to pass this law. It reminded me of all the Americans all across the country who have had to worry not only about getting sick, but about the cost of getting well. So that was President Obama responding to the Supreme Court's decision upholding the Affordable Care Act as constitutional and discussing uh, his motivation for wanting to see this through and also asking people to move past politics and let's talk about, you know, how to implement um, the basics of the bill now that the Supreme Court has weighed in. Uh, let me take a call. Paul from Newburyport. Go ahead, please. You're on the Callie Crossley Show, 89.7 WGBH. Yeah, hi. I think um, uh, the, the Republican and conservative um, sector of the electorate will hate Obama no matter what he does, so that will not change most likely. Uh, what what is most important is what the the independents think because they will most likely decide the election, and the the independents I feel are probably aren't that entrenched yay or nay in the health care issue, but what they are looking for is leadership, and uh, hate it or love it, Obama fought against the um, fought against the Republicans who tried to stop him at every turn, and he won. He does look like a leader. And, and Romney, who seems shackled to every, every special interest group out there, does not. So I think this win, the Supreme Court ruling, will, will uh, help win over independence, which is good for Obama. Paul, are you an independent? No, I am not. I'm a Democrat. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for the call, Paul. Um, uh, Arnie, Robert, 
I, I, I think I think he has. Look, Ob- this is Obama staked so much of the, of his presidency on this one issue. I mean, so many other issues were expendable. You know that, and I know that. A lot of progressives are so angry at him they don't even know what to say to him at this point. The fact that now at least he can say this was not a wasted presidency. The Supreme Court has found it constitutional. This impacts seventeen percent of our gross domestic product, and despite it uses such a huge amount of our GDP, we still have millions. Millions uninsured and millions underinsured. It is and a drag bad, on our and bad economy. Overall outcomes. And uh, bad by, overall outcomes. Exactly. By one WHO survey, 38th in the world. Costa Rica exactly. does better. Exactly. And so what he can say is, this is a win. What we need to do now is create jobs. What we need to do now is invest in our infrastructure. We need to not be obsessing about something that was such a tragedy and a mistake. The court has said we can move forward. Don't let the Republicans push us back to a place where we don't belong, which was clearly unsuccessful. So I think he really has a strategy to win. And now, as I said before, he can start articulating what it has already done for families with the 26, you know, 20 26-year-old staying on insurance with the pre-existing conditions, with the, you know, the ability to afford health insurance, all those things. And he can look at Mitt Romney and say, you know why you want to obsess about no? Because one, you don't have an answer. And two, what's your plan to create jobs? Because if you're going to spend your first two years overturning my health care plan, then you're not going to spend the first two years investing in our economy. Why would someone want to elect you? I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. You're ready to turn the clock back. That's not what you're getting elected. Still, so, I, I think we should note that this ruling is just going to enrage people, uh, uh, especially some powerful people on the on the right, and they're going to pump vast quantities, even more money, into Romney's campaign. And, uh, you know, that could be enough well, uh, to get Romney elected and get the, you know, get the Republicans in control of Congress. Uh, you know? To your point, Robert, uh, Paul said the rage uh, level is very high well, and the self-interest. The rage level is, 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 is very high. But to your point, to Paul's point, actually, our caller, uh, you know, independents looking for leadership. Uh, Mitt Romney came out and tapped into the rage today and expressed some leadership about what he would do. Here he is. As you might imagine. I disagree with the Supreme Court's decision, and I agree with the dissent. What the court did not do on its last day in session, I will do on my first day if elected president of the United States. And that is I will act to repeal Obamacare. So there you got it. Let me ask, does he really mean he would act to repeal all of it, like letting your kids stay on insurance until they're 26, pre-existing conditions and all this stuff? Let's see what he says chapter by chapter, because God knows the thing is long. The ACA is, what, a couple of thousand pages long. I'd like to see what he says point by point, section by section. And not only that, though, let's remember, Robert, how many votes do you need in the U.S. Senate to do anything, to pick your nose? You need 60 60. votes. So here you have a guy getting elected president with a world economy hemorrhaging, the EU going under, people still looking for jobs, people worried about their infrastructure, people looking at, you know, what are they going to do with the drug wars? And he's going to spend his first year or two or three trying to squeeze, you know, that 60 votes that he's going to need in the Supreme Court, in the uh, United States Senate to get his Republican appeal of Obamacare passed. And you know what? Number one, it ain't going to happen. Number two, what a waste of time. And number three, if I were an independent in the middle, I keep saying to him, you know what? I actually have health insurance. I'm going to be okay anyway. So what are you doing about my job? Because that's what I'm really worried about. And I'm looking at my 26-year-old moving back into the house. At least he's covered with insurance, but (laughs) he still doesn't have a job. Well, Ronnie's a pragmatist in the end. He'll, he'll whatever, whichever way the wind (laughs) is blowing on January 20th, if he's president, he'll, he'll Take go along with that. And that's why Republicans are afraid of him. Well, there's a couple of things to say. Uh, First of all, the president today, as part of his longer response to the Supreme Court's decision, did tick off all of the very popular features of this bill, uh, just to remind people what's in it, all the pre-existing conditions, uh, the 26-year-olds, you know, keeping on the insurance, the pre free preventive care checkups and mammograms, the rebate even from the insurance companies that are due to come. Here's the sticking point, which has always been the sticking point for people. Yes, maybe they know now more details about what's in it, but a lot of this stuff doesn't happen until 2014. The you got to get past this. stuff is 2014. You're right, exactly. Right. The individual mandate and so on. Yeah. So, you know, Medicare. you got people saying, uh, yeah, I can kind of see it on the horizon, but it's not affecting me now. And right now, I have a question about, you know, what's going to happen, and I'm pretty mad about it. So 
Governor Romney may look attractive to me. Uh, let me just quote, uh, paraf- paraphrase actually, what uh, former Lieutenant Governor uh, Carrie Healy said on my colleague's program, Emily Rooney's program, a little bit earlier. Uh, she's uh, supporting Mitt Romney, no surprise there, and also advising him about this. And she points out this is not a guy who's against health insurance or health care. He, in fact, put in a program in Massachusetts. Her point is, that, but wait a minute while you're laughing. Her point is there are other ways to address this, and he is ready to come with those other ways. And so if people are fond of these particular points that we've picked out, uh, he can support that and also work to repeal the other parts of the bill that he does not support. Maybe you could propose extending Medicare to everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. He'll do the, the universal health care. Obviously, well, this know. is not impressing you, Robert. But, <laughs> but, but let, let, me, let me just also say something else, because no one has uh, mentioned this, because it, they've always been sort of the big bad guys here. It turns out, you know who's going to like the passage of the Affordable Care Act? Drug companies. Do you know why? Oh, because it, it turns yeah. out that the, yeah. the health care reform bill takes many onerous rules off the table for drug companies. So they're happy campers. Managed care companies and insurance companies. Exactly. Ma- managed care companies and insurers are excited because they get 30 million new, you know, new policyholders. You know, you look at hospital operators. How much charity care have they been giving? They're happy campers. So there's going to be a lot of money spent either in support of this or against this. But I want people to understand those are also some of the players who are going to be very pleased with this passage of this bill because it also means that they are in a much better position to survive and be stable and be profitable. And They're that's going to be interesting to see. You got it. You got it. Well, to your point, to your overall point, uh, and one that you made earlier, Arnie, and you've been making for a while, is that, you know, listen, this is uh, a lot of the policy that has been put forward by this president is not one that's been wholly embraced by, quote unquote, liberals. Uh, They felt um, let down by this. This is, you know, the decision certainly is a compromise one. The bill itself was a, a, a compromise one. Uh, oh, and, and and let's also point out that from a political standpoint, which is what I'm talking to you guys about, mm-hmm. a lot of Democrats who signed on for the bill and supported it have been backing way away from it prior to the Supreme Court decision because they weren't quite sure how it would fall out and were concerned about whether there'd be blowback on them and their political so, ambitions. So, so let me just say something, uh, and I want to use the Canadian model. Canada did not pass universal health care as a country. They passed it province by province by Mm. province. So they Mm. did these little experiments here, a little experiment here. I do not think that uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, will not say to Vermont, to Oregon, to Montana, to whomever, you can experiment with universal health care. You can experiment with the concept of Medicare for all. This bill sort of sets a threshold for all 50 states. But that doesn't mean that you can't form regional plans. You can't be even creative. All I've done is say you can't form below this line. And I think that this is an opportunity for all my progressive friends who I know were actually even hoping this went down, believe it or not. Really? Because they said, okay, the next step, oh, trust me, I'll, I'll send you all my emails that, you know, we can now go to Medicare for all. I think that's a lose-lose because I really do believe people would have died if we didn't have this passage. But what I am hoping is that they will allow experiments, just the way Romney is suggesting experiments, and that will empower states to go beyond and then provide a model for a nation so that maybe 10 years from now or five years from now, we can look at Medicare for all or some variation on a theme because we've been able to show how it worked, how it brought, brought down costs, how small businesses were able to flourish, and how people weren't affected by job lock. How many people don't leave a job because they're so afraid of never getting health insurance again? And I want to go back to your... Millions. millions yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to go back to your caller who called in because he was upset about, you know, that part of the sale of his house would go for the, you know, to inf- pay for the cost of the Affordable Care Act, you know, and he was resented that because his house isn't worth very much anymore. Well, I have a suggestion for him. There are some very wealthy people in this country that are only paying 14% of their income in income taxes. I mean, hedge fund managers and some of the 1%. And you know what? I have an idea. Let's compromise. Let's take something from them and you can keep the sale of your house and all the money. I mean, there is money available. The problem is, isn't it interesting where they go to grab it? Why would they take it from the sale of a house that's worth 30% less? Why not take it from someone who's making more money than anyone has ever envisioned in the history of the world and yet has chosen not to pay their fair share? So there is cash. Now the question is, where do you tap it? All right. In conclusion, well, I guess in the long run, the, the 
poor people going to have to pay more tax too to cover all this stuff? I mean, well down into the upper middle class and maybe the that's, upper. Yeah, that's that's part of living I in think a society. That's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Tax mm-hmm. rates are federal tax rates are very low. Um, I want to get both of you to weigh in on whether, how Republicans are going to spin this. I'm not talking about Governor Mitt Romney. He said what he's going to do, and that's going to be pretty much his stance. But how will this be spun from that perspective? And do you think it was a surprise uh, to many of them? Uh, I, I think it was a surprise. It certainly was a surprise to me <laughs> for what that's worth. Hmm. I thought they were going to overrule it, uh, you know, throw it out. Uh, I, I think uh, – I, uh, you know, I I think the reaction will be that this is a, a horrible affirmation of socialistic overarching government. I think that'll be the argument made. Hmm. Okay. And, and I Basically. actually think that and, believe you know, it or not, for, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the the piece on Medicaid actually makes it a little bit harder for some of those Republicans in states to be able to argue yeah. because they could then point directly to their state budget, to local taxes, to how, you know, look at this sales tax had to go up to a deal with this Affordable Care Act. Look at your property taxes had to go up. That now has been taken off the table because states can opt in or opt out. So there isn't going to be a direct dollar correlation between what happens with your budget and what happens with the Affordable Care Act. That takes some of the teeth out of the impact. That doesn't mean that, you know, well, this isn't about facts. This isn't about information. This is about rhetoric and misinformation. It'll and make the rhetoric more me. realistic. So the exactly. rhetoric that have been applying to a national plan, they'll have to apply to what's going on in their own state. Mm-hmm. And that's a little different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you're governing. It's like the, the, the huge difference between being a legislator and an administrator, a governor, a president. You've got you to mm-hmm. grasp with the reality. You've got to grasp the uh, how the system actually works, and the the fact the fact is they're going to have to move from in some states denunciations of federal uh, medical insurance uh, to uh, grappling uh, with how their own states are doing it. Uh, now, Arnie Roberts said he was surprised. Do you think most Republicans were surprised? Everybody was surprised. Mm-hmm. No, and and you know what? Um, what's what's her name? Justice Ginsburg was so cute. She said, "You are going to be surprised." <laughs> she was right. She wouldn't. Oh, answer. I didn't hear her say that. She, oh yeah, she did this dance. She was she was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and she just was like so adorable because she just sort of you know she wouldn't answer, but she was sort of like the idea was it's not it's never what you think or it's something. Amazing. Like that. That's yeah. a remarkably indiscreet for a Supreme Court. Well, justice, well, you you, really. you have to she go back go back and, and go. Right. She did. Yeah. You have to go back and sort of look at the dance that she said. And there was this, you know, and, and, and the other that's what's so interesting is that nobody revealed anything. But this really was a surprise. You can't predict. She says people that think they know don't and people that know yeah. don't tell. All Remember right. Well, we more to come. We'll see. Thanks so much, you two. I've been speaking with political analyst Arnie Arneson and Robert Whitcomb, the vice president and editorial page editor of the Providence Journal. And we've been talking about the Supreme Court's ruling and how it will affect the presidential race. Thanks again. You can nice keep guy. on top of the Callie Crossley show at WGBH.org slash Callie Crossley. Follow us on Twitter. Become a fan on Facebook. This is the Callie Crossley show. And today's program was engineered by Alan Mattis, produced by Chelsea Murs, Will Roselip, and Abby Ruzica. Our intern is Sloan Paiva. We're a production of WGBH Radio, Boston Public Radio.